For our Bible reading this morning, turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. And for many weeks before we moved into the new building, we have been slowly working our way through the second chapter of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And we left off for a time, and we've spent four weeks dealing with the theme of the true worshipper coming into the presence of God, based on the four texts of Scripture that's uh, on the glass in the uh, entrance porches into the church. And this morning, I want to return to um, the book of Philippians. Uh, later on in the year, we'll deal with the other texts of Scripture that are uh, here in the church. But just for this morning, let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 12 right through to verse 24. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through to 24. Let's hear the word of the Lord, reading, of course, uh, from the authorized version. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he have served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 24. And we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 2, verses 19, right through to verse 24. And it's a long text, and I'm not going to reread it to you. But my theme today, based on these words, is the type of young people that every church needs. So you know the text, Philippians 2, 19 to 24. And there's the theme, the type of young people that every church needs. 
Now remember, it's approximately 64 AD. The Apostle Paul has spent many months in prison at Rome. He is a special prisoner there. We could call him a category A prisoner. He is under 24-hour guard. He's chained daily to a Roman soldier. Why? What was his crime? What has he done? Has he committed murder? Has he blasphemed Caesar? Has he been guilty of a crime worthy of death? The answer, of course, is no. The only thing that he could be guilty of is his clear, plain presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to Jew and Gentile alike. In other words, he's in prison because he's a a gospel preacher. And of course, around the world today, there's people in prison, and that's their crime. They're guilty of being gospel preachers. He was in prison because of his love and loyalty to Jesus Christ. His preaching, of course, aroused the wrath of certain jealous Jewish leaders. And after his arrest, he was drawn before one Roman authority after another, till eventually he appealed to Caesar, which meant, of course, that he must stand trial at Rome. At this time, remember, Nero is on the throne. He's a man who hates Christians. He hates the cause of Christ. He's a man who has executed Christians by their thousands and tens of thousands. Now, think of Paul in prison. He's cut off from his family, his friends, his fellowship. His imprisonment, of course, had a tremendous impact upon a number of churches that he helped to found, especially the church at Philippi. They were troubled by his imprisonment. Many felt this was going to hinder the cause of the gospel. Listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. This hasn't hindered the gospel, he's saying. This has actually helped the gospel. So the apostle Paul wrote to this church in Philippi. This was a comforting letter, full of good, wise, spiritual counsel, tailor-made, of course, to suit their needs. It covers the theme of joy, confidence and courage in the Lord, the, the need to be faithful to carry on despite any adverse and outward circumstances. In chapter 2, he deals with the practical issue of division and disunity and distrust in the church. To get their eyes on Christ, he sets forth Jesus Christ as the greatest example of true humility, uh, verses uh, 5 through to 11. And then in verses 12 and 13, he exhorts them to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. Remember, it's work out, not work for. They were to uh, work out the gospel. That that is, they were to live in the joy and the victory and the riches of the gospel. Now, the Apostle Paul knew intimately the church at Philippi. And and he knows that they face at this time an uncertain future. And he has a real concern for the believers there that they will live and love together in the gospel. And his concern is so strong that he felt the need to mention in the letter that he was sending a number of men to them. 
And one of the men that he chose to send was a man by the name of Timothy. If you look at verse 19, he says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Now, Timothy is with Paul. And I have no doubt that he's living in Rome, probably visiting Paul under house arrest every day. He is Paul's right-hand man. He is one of the most (coughs) godliest ministers in the whole of the New Testament church at that time. Timothy is one of the most Christ-like young men of that period. And I'm sure Paul needed him. I'm sure Paul wanted to keep him with himself at Rome. He is great encouragement to him personally. Timothy, in Paul's mind, is a wonderful example of everything that the Apostle Paul has been saying about true humility, a life of love and loyalty to Jesus Christ, a life of joy, a a life of real victory despite hardship and outward circumstances. See, Timothy's a good, godly young man. He's a fine example. There's no one better than Timothy who is with me. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. And I'm going to send him to you, that is send him to the church at Philippi for your help and encouragement and edification at this time. Timothy, I believe, is the type of young man that the church of Jesus Christ needs. This church needs young men. Young men like Timothy, good, godly, spiritually minded young men. And we should pray to that end. Yes, we need men, good men, godly men, gracious men, men with a heart and mind and a spirit just like Timothy. We also need godly young women and we need middle-aged and older ones as well. But I was thinking this morning, Here's the type of young people that every church needs. We need young people with the same mind, the same heart, just like Timothy. Now, notice four things in this text of Scripture. Firstly, think of the salvation that he enjoyed. If you look at verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus. We'll pause there. Come down to verse 24. But I trust in the Lord. And then think of the words in verse 22. He have served with me in the gospel. You see, these words, I trust in the Lord Jesus, were part of Timothy's testimony. They were part of Paul's testimony. Timothy has a testimony, first of all, to the saving and keeping power of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's a saved young man. He made one of the greatest discoveries ever in his life. He discovered early in life that he was a sinner. And that he'd got a soul. That he needed to be saved. And he discovered early in life and found that salvation is only in Jesus Christ. His father was a Greek. He he wasn't saved, there's no record of that. He wasn't a God-fearing man. His mother, Eunice, she was a a Jewish convert to Christianity. He had a grandmother called Lois. And you know what it said of Timothy? 
In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, this is what is written. But from a child, from a toddler, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. And, and Timothy early in life discovered that salvation is in Christ alone. And is received through faith alone, by the grace of God alone. Think of Paul's words, or Peter's words in Acts 4 and verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And from the day he got saved, from the day he became a born-again Christian, he learned that because he was now saved, he had to cultivate a servant's heart. And I asked this morning, very personally, but pointedly, and yet plainly, are you a born-again Christian today? Are you a true believer? Was there a time in your life when you called on the Lord, save me, I perish? Was there a time when you had regard for the need of your soul and recognized your own sinful state? Was there a time when you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ and cried out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner? See, let's remember this morning, every Christian who's born again of the Spirit of God, that individual, the moment he's born again of the Spirit of God, becomes a blood-bought servant of Jesus Christ. And, and the Lord Jesus can come and say, you're not your own, you're bought with a price. In other words, you belong to me. It's not an option. It's a calling. I don't believe you can call yourself a son if you're not also a servant of Jesus Christ. You can't call yourself a servant if you're not also a son. And of course, if you want to grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and be Christ-like, then you need to cultivate a servant's heart. But before you do that, you need to be brought to the place where you actually say, but I trust in the Lord Jesus. Not in the church. It's not the church that saves. Not in yourself uh, because uh, you can't save yourself. Salvation is of the Lord. Not, not in your own inherent goodness. Not, not in your ability to do this or that or another. But, but actually trust in Christ. But I trust in the Lord Jesus. And I asked this morning, uh, uh, again, this personal question. Who or what are you trusting in? Here's the salvation that Timothy enjoyed. I want you to think secondly of the service that he engaged. If you look at verse 22, the apostle says, He have served with me in the gospel. I want you to think of the mention of a service. Because Timothy had a servant's heart. He was a man ready to work for Jesus Christ. He was a man who gave himself 100% for the work of the gospel. He was thinking, what can I do for Christ, for the good of others, whether it's serving Paul or serving others? His service centered on the things of Jesus Christ. Paul says, served with me in the gospel. And that's full of meaning. You see, Timothy was not an armchair servant. He didn't engage in a fireside experience 
He wasn't sitting at home issuing thoughts and commands to others. No, he, he served, served with me. That, that's alongside me. And we'll come back to that. But think of this word servant. The, the word served is a very strong word. Uh, and it comes from the, 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 the Greek uh, that, that means slave. He, he slaved away in the gospel. That that would be a good rendering of that. Here's a fact. Both Timothy and Paul were the servants of Jesus Christ. In other words, they were the bond slaves of Jesus Christ. From the moment they got saved and were brought under the blood, they realized were the servants of Christ. If you look with me at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, it says Paul and Timotheus. So that's how we know that Timothy was with him. The servants of Jesus Christ. Underline the word servants as I've said the word servants means born slaves individuals who had no rights of their own no riches of their own no regard for themselves no retreats no regrets that's how Paul viewed Timothy that's how Timothy was viewed and regarded by the whole church everybody knew them the servants of Jesus Christ. They were full of zeal. They were passionate about the work of God. They had intense burden for the glory of God and the good of the church. The idea is of a servant. And the salvation that he's enjoyed meant that he engaged in willing, voluntary service. There's a story told about a church in New Mexico. It's in Santa Fe, New Mexico, called St. Bede's. And it's only got one door in. One door out. Don't know about health and safety. I don't know about planning regulations or building control regulations. But there's only one door in, I'm told. And there's a sign above the door. The sign is handmade. It's hung there for many, many decades. And this is what it says. Two words. Servants entrance. You see, every believer... The moment they be born again of the Spirit, the moment they become a Christian, also becomes a servant. Not only a child of God, not only a son, but a servant. We are saved to become the servants of Jesus Christ. So, so think of the, the mention of a service. Also think about his motivation and service. If you look again at the words, he have served with me in the gospel. In the gospel. In other words, his service flowed from his personal experience and enjoyment in the gospel. Remember, he didn't serve the Lord in order to be saved. That's works. That, that's a works religion. We don't believe in a works-based religion. Rather, he served because he was saved, because he was in a right relationship with the Lord Jesus. And Christ's salvation had so gripped him, so changed him, so transformed him, that that made him to be a willing, voluntary servant of Jesus Christ. He was constrained by the love of Christ. The love of Christ constrained him. He, he lived for the honor and the glory of the Lord. The name Timothy means he honors God. And Timothy certainly lived up to his name. Someone has rightly said, I don't know who, if the love of Christ doesn't 
not compel us to live a life of Christian service, then nothing will. You see, his decision to serve Jesus Christ was not based on a good idea. He just didn't wake up one morning and think, I'll go and serve the Lord. He didn't adopt a common sense approach and say, well, there's a need. He didn't do what he felt was best. No, his life and his time, his talent was all submitted to the will of God. He wasn't seeking his own interest. His life was centered on the gospel, on the things of Jesus Christ. And that was his motivation, his only motivation for service. So he wasn't good living for a living, as the saying goes. He was good living because he tasted the grace of God. And his heart was changed. And he, out of love for Christ and the cause of God, wanted to willingly and voluntarily serve the Lord. Notice something else here very quickly. His maturity. Um, If you think of the words in verse 22, but ye know the proof of him that as a son with the father he have served with me in the gospel. Underline the words, proof of him. In other words, he was well proven. Think of the words, as a son with the father. Now, now that has really struck me. Paul just didn't say he served in the gospel. That would have been true. But he said he served with me in the gospel. How did he serve with Paul in the gospel? As a son with the father. Here's an illustration. You've got to think of a younger boy. And you've got to think of an older man. Think of the younger, think of the older. Two individuals, one younger and one older, laboring for the same cause. Serve with me in the gospel. Had an eye, the younger and the older, to the future of the church and its well-being. Isn't the general idea abroad today in many evangelical fundamentalist reformed churches that the young view the old or the elder in the church with a, a spirit of contempt. What do they know? A bunch of old fuddy-duddies. And the young sometimes can view the young with suspicion. They want change. They, they want us out of here. But that was not the case with Timothy and Paul. Timothy's a younger man. Paul's an older man. And Timothy uh, seen Paul in prison facing hardship all due to the gospel and the cause of Christ. And, and, and Timothy would have focused on those years of Paul's Christian experience. How he lived through trial and trouble. How he proved the grace of God. And he would have realized this man's not out of touch with Christ. That this man's not disconnected from the real world. I, I can learn from him. I believe Timothy had a teachable spirit. And in fact, the words teach me is a prayer. Uh, Psalm 86 and verse 11. Teach me. I remember Dr. Douglas laboring that point many, many years ago in the college. that, That we were given a teachable spirit that we were willing to learn. That we had never reached the place where we say, well, we were a know all. Timothy could learn from Paul. Timothy could copy Paul. Timothy could imitate Paul. Timothy was not a know-it-all. He learned from him as he lived out the gospel alongside him. Maybe I could say this morning in relation to our own church, 
We need each other. We need the young people in the church, young men, young women. We need boys and girls. And we need, of course, those who are middle-aged and the elderly as well. And, and I would encourage the young people. And we know we have very few this morning. They'll probably be listening at some stage in the internet later on. I'd encourage the young people to, to learn to spend time in the company of older believers. I would encourage the older believers here to take the young people in their heart, to, to pray for them, to, to love them as your own, to, to praise their zeal and their energy and their enthusiasm for the work of God in the gospel. Served with me in the gospel. Timothy served with Paul. The two worked together, young and old. And you know, when I read that, that really thrilled me. Uh, uh, and and I, I said to the Lord, Lord, that's what we need in carried off. Not only his maturity, but notice manner. If you go back to this word served and underline it, as I've said, it comes from the uh, Greek word that means do loss, which literally is a slave. Timothy. Because he was a bond slave of Jesus Christ, he was the manner of his service, he is willing to be sent anywhere. Timothy will leave the side of his beloved Paul, even though he's in prison, not knowing if he'd ever see him again, and willing to go if it's God's will. But I trust in the Lord Jesus. In other words, it's subject to the will of God. And he says the verse 24, but I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. In other words, if, if it's God's will, I'll be released from prison and I'll be able to return to, to Philippi. Timothy was willing to be sent anywhere. He was willing to serve everyone, anyone. Go and serve in the church in Philippi. But that church is divided. You've wrote about disunity there. There's distrust among the leadership. Timothy's willing to go. See, a true servant will never be out to make a name for himself. A true servant will be a humble soul. He, he won't do it to be seen of men or, or to be praised by men. He's happy to do the most menial tasks. Why? Because he's a servant. He's a born slave of Jesus Christ. And he's willing to sacrifice anything. Timothy gave up his own interests to be a servant of Jesus Christ. As I've said, he didn't serve to be seen of men or to be well spoken of or to be sweetened by men. He, he was willing to labor unseen, unnoticed, unappreciated, unpraised. That's the type of man that he was. And here's the service he engaged in. I want you to think of something else in this text very quickly. I want you to think of the sensitivity he exhibited. If you look with me at verse 20, Paul says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Now, now, what does that actually mean? Does it mean there's no one like Timothy? Does it mean there's no one like Timothy with the same mindset about my service? Except myself. Does it mean there's no one like Timothy to, as, uh, uh, to, to help the Philippian church. In other words, I, I, I can't send someone else. This, this has caused a, a wee bit of confusion. But I believe that what Paul is saying is, for I have no man like-minded with me at this present time in Rome that, that I can trust to send. Um, 
someone who has a genuine interest in the well-being of the church. No man like Timothy with me. Because he is a gracious, caring, sensitive heart and mind. He will care for you. He will comfort you. He will counsel you. And that's what the Philippian church needed. It needed an encourager. It needed a pastor. It needed someone who would not be rash or unthoughtful or uncaring among them. Not someone who would be harsh and without feeling. Remember, they've been dismayed by Paul's circumstances. They feel the gospel's being hindered. They're questioning the providence of God. Why is Paul in jail? That that shouldn't be. They're questioning God's sovereignty. They're worried about the future of the church. There's a spirit of division, disloyalty, and distrust among them. And what does the church need? Does it need a harsh, unthoughtful, without feeling pastor to come and tramp all over them? No. What does the church need? It needs someone with a sensitive mindset and spirit. Someone who will be careful and thoughtful. Someone who will counsel and comfort them and be an encourager. Are you a discourager or an encourager? Timothy, I believe, was an encourager. And he he was like-minded of Paul. And he knew that this church had problems. And how do you deal with with a church with with problems? You you think of the much hurt and damage has been done by insensitivity in the church. Think of how fellow believers have been treated. And they have been harmed by insensitivity in people's attitude and people's actions. Whether it's at the leadership or in pew level. Timothy was not like that. Timothy, I believe, was a sensitive, caring, thoughtful kind of man who didn't put himself first, who wasn't out for his own interest, who always put the needs and well-being of the church first. He had a genuine interest in the need of all that was in the church in Philippi. And he would never seek his own things, not put himself first. He, He wanted to be an encourager to the people of God. Certainly not a discourager. And he wasn't going in to tramp all over them, despite the problems that were there. He was going in to deal with the problems and to point out sin and call for repentance where necessary and to heal the hurts, to heal the brokenhearted, to heal the discouraged, the sensitivity he exhibited. And one final thing. I want you to think of the steadfastness he experienced. Remember Timothy's willing to go Anywhere. I'm sending you to Philippi, Timothy. I want you to go and serve anyone. You know the church with its problems. I want you to sacrifice everything and anything. And there was no conflict. Paul actually says, if you look at verse 22, but you know the proof of him. Proof of him. In other words, he's a track record. Timothy, C. could have said to Paul, wait a minute, Paul, you need me. Your head's going to go into the chopping block any time. And you could be killed. You're going to need me here. I'll not go. Timothy wasn't one to drag his feet. There was no murmuring or complaining. Not Philippi. No, he went willingly and voluntarily. He didn't question his master. He obeyed. It was like... 
having true humility in action. It was having true harmony in action. All because he's a track record. And Paul says, the proof of him. In other words, Paul's, Paul's testifying, I know his character. I know his conduct. I know his conversation. He can be relied on. He has shown his steadfastness in the past. He's, he won't be sporadic. He'll not display a lack of commitment. There'll not be a flurry of emotion for a time and then the bubble will burst and he'll quit in discouragement. He'll not bomb or burn out. He'll not become hurt or angry or frustrated or disgusted in disappointment and walk away. He'll display steadfastness because he, he's been proven. He has a track record. The steadfastness he experienced. And you know something else? That's also a characteristic that we need in the church. And your steadfastness to Christ and the cause of the gospel. Your steadfastness to uphold and maintain the services and coming out morning and evening. Your steadfastness for Christ at home and in the work and in the church. Well, the Lord takes note of that. And that's a testimony to where you're at in a spiritual sense. The Lord's taking note of your record. Here's the type of Young people that the Free Presbyterian Church needs. Young people who are saved by the grace of God. Young people who will willingly engage in service. Anywhere, anyone, anytime, anything, Lord. If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And as they serve him, they'll be thoughtful and caring and sensitive in their treatment of others. And they'll be Christ-like because they've got the mind of Christ and they'll be steadfast by the grace of God. They'll remain true to Christ in their love and loyalty to him. The type of young man, young woman that every church needs. The type of believer we should all aspire to be. May the Lord take these few thoughts this morning. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your attentiveness. May the Lord bless these few words to your hearts.